Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Suzanne Benker Show, where we tell truths the culture won't. As always, this program is brought to you by Hair Saloon for Men. Hair Saloon isn't just a place to get a haircut. It's an honorable rebellion against the feminization of the American male. Men and women are different, and that's a good thing. At Hair Saloon, they don't offer coupons because they don't need to. Their prices are always reasonable, and customers never feel shortchanged when they walk out the door. So get out of your wife's salon and head on over to HairSaloon.com. They have 18 locations in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Houston. Book online or through their mobile app. Again, that's HairSaloon.com. Do you believe adults should conform to the needs of children, or children should conform to the desires of adults? Never before in our nation's history has this question been more acute. We live in a culture that frames adults as victims in need of societal validation, when in reality it's kids who pay the price for being expected to conform to adult desires. For instance, it used to be understood that divorce was harmful to children. But in our efforts to be empathetic and accepting, we no longer accept this harsh reality to be true, even though it is. Not only do we dismiss the significance of the married mom and dad family, we don't believe children need a mom and a dad at all. All a child needs, we're told, is love. That's bunk, says Katie Faust, founder and director of Them Before Us, an organization committed to putting the rights of children ahead of adult desires. We'll talk with Katie about marriage, divorce, donor conception, and same-sex parenting, a subject with which Katie is intimately familiar. She will share her story in this episode and explain her mission to create a society via the culture and public policy where children have a right to be loved and known by both of their biological parents. Katie joins us now via Skype. Hello, Katie. Hello, dear friend. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. I have to tell everybody that Katie and I have known each other for a few years, and we are very similar, and she's just, she, except she runs circles around me, I think, energy-wise. But I want to ask you, Katie, and just have you tell, tell your story, and I'm going to ask you straight out, who are you, Katie Faust? Oh, seriously, who am I? It kind of depends on the hour. Like, one that's hunting for the best prices of avocados in town, or am I like the soccer carpool mom, or am I speaking in front of the UN? Um, yeah, you know, exactly. Friends talking about the rights of children, it kind of depends, because I think, truthfully, womanhood done right means you're going to wear different hats at different times. But as you say, you just can't do them all at once, right? Right, right. But seriously, tell us how you got to be, you know, what is your story? What's your background? And how did you get to to doing what you're doing? Well, um, I am a pastor's wife um, in my other life. And I'm really, really nice most of the time. (laughs) You Um, are lovely. (laughs) What happened was um, when I heard... um, You know, once President Obama evolved on the subject of marriage, what to me felt like um, a sea change took place in the media, where the media felt like, you know, now that we've got the president, uh, we can play the bigot card. And anybody who doesn't agree with gay marriage is now framed as a bigot or a hater or a homophobe. And um, that obviously, like many, many other really good Americans who support traditional marriage, um, it, you know, made me bristle because... Like most of us, you know, I have friends and family that I know and love who are gay and lesbian, you know, one of whom is my mom, um, who's been in a relationship with her partner since I was um, 10 after my parents divorced. Um, And I've been really connected with them um, all through my life. So this doesn't have to do with animus. It has to do with 
me and many others understanding that marriage is a social justice issue for children because it's the only adult relationship that unites the two adults to whom children have a natural right um, and as a result sets them up for success in a way that no other family structure does. Um, the other thing that I that kind of motivated me to get out of my comfort zone and deal with the hate that comes with kind of standing against uh, this new quote unquote uh, civil right for adults was what I heard the gay lobby saying about kids, which is that they don't care if they're raised by two moms or two dads, they just need to be safe and loved. Um, and I've worked with kids, you know, for 20 years. And the thing that wounds them the most is when they've lost a relationship with their mom or dad, you know, either through divorce or abandonment or death or now donor conception, that it, losing your mom or dad, like if, if mom is an addict and not able to take care of you and so you haven't known her since infancy, you know, or a divorce takes place and your dad moves across the country and you see him, you know, maybe a couple months during the summer. These are the deepest wounds that children struggle with. Um, you know, I've worked in the adoption world and I believe that adoption is a just society's response to children who have lost their parents. But that separation from a child's first family leaves what many experts call a primal wound. And so we can never be casual um, or normalize or incentivize the loss of a child's mother or father, but that's exactly what the gay lobby did. And I believe very successfully in the run up to the legalization of gay marriage. So all of that kind of prompted me to start speaking out. I love in particular how you connect all these different topics under one umbrella. I think that's what's most unique about what you do. You know, like a lot of people would look at this from the outside and think, what's divorce, donor conception, same-sex parenting all have in common? Yeah, and, and that is honestly the biggest problem that people on quote-unquote our side have had is we've tried to come up with sort of disparate responses to all of these different um, social causes or, you know, new forms of family or whatever, when the reality is that all of them come down to the same thing, which is a disregard for the rights of children to be known and loved by their mother and father. Um, and unfortunately, I think many people have made it, even on our side, about adults, you know, what adults want and that adults drive the conversation. And that's exactly wrong, because really, I don't care what you're doing in your private life, seriously, like adults, whatever. But once there's a baby involved, everybody, gay or straight, single or married, should be forced to conform to the rights of that child and the needs of that child. But instead, what we've got now is people, everybody, gay, straight, single, married, expecting the child to conform to what they want. Um, and that's an injustice. And, of course, that's where Them Before Us was born, right? That's, that's your website. That's your, um, that's your baby. And I noticed that on there, on the front page, it, has, it's, it looks like it's divided up into three distinct sections. Sex matters, marriage matters, and biology matters. Why did you pick those three? Right, um, because those are the main lies that we're hearing from culture, right? That love makes a family, right? That um, mothers and fathers don't offer anything distinct to children. I mean, that was a really important part of the push up to same-sex marriage is saying that um, mothers and fathers were interchangeable in the life of a child. Um, and of course, that's just mm -hmm. refuted by sociological evidence from decades and decades of research that we've got. Um, I think that the biology matters. You know, we 
we rightly understand that adoption is critical for the well-being of children as an institution, but sometimes we have overly romanticized adoption to the point where we minimize the loss that children experience. That has fed into this idea that we can intentionally separate children from one or both biological parents and reproductive technologies, um, but the reality is that biological identity is really important to kids. Um, and so, and so we focus on that as well. And marriage matters um, because marriage, again, from a children's rights perspective, is the relationship that brings together the two people who are responsible for these children's existence. And that is the household structure that means they are the least likely to fall into all of these areas of social ills um, that we're trying to battle in society today. So kind of those are the main kind of foundational pieces of what we're doing. Excellent. And I want to tell people that on this site, Them Before Us, it's thembeforeus.com. There are, well, the most compelling part, and I know this is why you wanted to put it together this way, are the stories. So when we come back from a break, I want to start by reading just a paragraph from one of the more recent stories that you have there and talk about that a little bit. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll do that. Do you ever wonder what happened to courtship and find yourself longing to go out on a real date? Do you ask yourself why some marriages last and others fall apart? Is your marriage struggling despite your best efforts to keep it together? Women who win at love don't have a gift you don't have. What makes them unique is that they aren't at war with the men in their lives. Rather than take a competitive approach to relationships, as the culture teaches, they accept that men are men and that women are women. And that makes all the difference. Whether you're single and mapping out your life, or you're divorced or unhappily married, women who win at love will permanently alter the way you view men in marriage. You will learn the eight dating rules that lead to marriage, why super successful women struggle in love, what men want and what women want, hint, they're not the same, why love alone is not a reason to get married, how to avoid the green grass syndrome, and why acting like a man lands women in a ditch. Women Who Win at Love is an in-depth examination of modern dating and marriage and a wake-up call for women at every stage of life. So go to Amazon.com and type in Women Who Win at Love and get ready for your life to change. Welcome back to The Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. We're talking today with Katie Faust, who's the founder and director of the children's rights organization Them Before Us. She's also the Washington State leader for the pro-marriage group Canavox and appears regularly in a video series called Dear Katie. And we left off talking about Katie's site, Them Before Us, and all of the many, many stories that you have on there, which is which are so compelling. I mean, definitely the best part of your site. And one of those stories that was recently published is by a gal named Christy, who I think is in her 60s. And she writes... I mean, it's a, hu- it's a whole long thing. I'm just going to read a little paragraph here. Thank you for getting the word out on what happens to children when the adults break the traditional family structure. I've been wanting forever to somehow get out there what happens to the emotional life of a child when you don't have parents, family, a mother, or a father. Because the Western world is the model for all civilized societies on Earth at this time in history, it is critical that we understand the damage we're doing to the global commonwealth by our policies on marriage and family life. 
because changes to family structure do not translate immediately into obvious social chaos, it remains easy to argue that the damage, if any, is minimal and relatively easy, easily contained. And I think that there's some sort of, like in all of the stories on your site, that's sort of a common theme of people who have experienced all these different, um, well, a different form of the same loss that is normalized in our society, and so we don't give it any attention, one of which is, of course, the truth about divorce, and not only divorce, but what happens with remarriage with a new family. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we'll, we need to. Um, in fact, one of the things that I learned um, when I was keyboard warrioring um, during the marriage battle was that we've been pretty hypocritical on our side. You know, those of us who said, hey, wait a second, if you legalize same-sex marriage, you're going to normalize motherless and fatherlessness, and that's not fair to the kids. And the other side are like, oh, yeah, you're worried about the kids? Why weren't you crusading against no-fault divorce? Why don't you ever talk about that? And I'm like, yeah, that's a damn good point. Right. Because those kids need to be defended, too. That's the bulk of the kids who have suffered family breakdown over the last several decades. And the responsibility for that does not fall to gay and lesbians. <laughs> that falls to heterosexuals. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are conservative who yep. bought the lies yep. that, oh, oh, the kids will be fine. The kids are resilient. No, they won't. And no, they're not. Right. That we know the impact that divorce has on children is lifelong. It impacts their view of their own relationships, their own ability to find and maintain work, their own abilities to trust, their own struggles with mental health and other kinds of risks that kids are going to. I mean, divorce is an ace, an adverse childhood experience that often leads to other aces. So, you know, divorce is like ugh, it's been framed so much as a cold, you know, well, it's kind of rough for a while, but mm -hmm. kids will get over it. They don't. Mm -mm. What divorce really is, is the very first step on a lifetime of losses and transitions that are going to affect the kid's entire world. So we do shine a spotlight on divorce. And obviously, we make a distinction between saying that there are some divorces that are justified, but that's what they used to call at-fault divorce, you know, when somebody could was found to be at fault through abuse or addiction or abandonment. And in those cases, the full force of the court needs to be on the side of the innocent spouse. But what's happening now is that one parent can just unilaterally break it because <laughs> they're having a hard time communicating. There's financial difficulties, um, all kinds of things that every normal marriage faces but has to figure out a way to get through. Instead, the adult says, you know what, I'm just kind of digging my coworker right now. And I was literally having this conversation two days ago with somebody, man, I'm kind of falling for my coworker. And I'm like, well, the kids would be really happy if I was happy. No, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> the kids will be happy if you figure out a way to stay connected to their father, because that is the person that they love. And that is the safest man, statistically, that those children are ever going to live with. So we, we try to be even-handed about this and say there really isn't anything um, you know, when it came to the same-sex marriage debate, I said there's nothing unique about same-sex parenting. It's just one of many ways that children experience loss in the family. And that began with no-fault divorce. Yeah, and another thing, another example of, um, of uh, that the, this same gal that I just quoted also wrote was having to do with mothers being crucial to the development of a conscience, which I thought was fascinating. And I um, had had someone on recently talking about the first three years and the significance of those early years, which, of course, we give no credit to in our society. But she said, one of the results of having someone who cares about how you feel, who understands your fears and needs and attempts to meet them, is that you learn that you matter. 
And mm-hmm. so that's one of those, you know, so many of these things that, that babies and young children need are intangibles. You know, it's not the food or the clothing that we're talking about. It's these are the intangibles. And learning that you matter is something that happens when someone drops what they're doing and focuses on you in your early years. And so that was something else this gal had pointed out, that if you don't get that, you're often left with a lifetime of pain. So that would be an example of one of the things I think that you're referring to. And I'm an adoptive mom. Um, And so in the adoption world, we're very, very aware that um, even if your child is placed with you um, on the day of birth, but you know, in other cases where the child has been in foster care or an institution and has not had the chance to develop that close trusting attachment. Um, And you miss that window. You miss that first critical 18 months and three year window to develop trust and attachment. It's very, very hard to get it back ever, ever. And you know what? Women are distinctly and uniquely wired to give kids exactly what they need. And very interesting. I'm having a little bit of a Twitter skirmish right now with Um, a gentleman who um, has created two sets of twins through surrogacy. And it really feels like there's nothing special that women have to offer children at all. He said, well, maybe breastfeeding, but that's not necessary. And I'm thinking, like, seriously, an entire half of the population is represented by this beautiful, distinct biological sex. And you think that that's optional in the life of your children? I mean, I know that the kids who grew up motherless, who are, whose stories are on our website, um, felt like they were starved for maternal love. You know, we're, kids are wired for it. They're wired to be loved by a father and they're wired to be loved by a mother. And when you don't get that through the channels where kids are made to get it from, you will find that male love somewhere, you know, I, and I, you will find that female love somewhere, but it's probably not going to be from a source, source that is as safe or as committed to your long-term well-being as your mother and father would be. I found it interesting or fascinating, actually, that um, since this ability to look up your past genetically, you know, whether it's Ancestry.com or just finding your real parents in whatever way that uh, this is foreign to me, but, you know, whatever way you can, um, people are doing that left and right, aren't they? Adoptees who are now finding their birth parents. Isn't that sort of a... a and a, even non-adoptees, right? Uh, the Ancestry sites, I mean, other than porn, is the largest kind of hobby on the internet because mm. everybody wants to know. And donor-conceived children are increasingly finding their donor parents or finding out that they are donor-conceived to begin with. Many of these kids had no idea that they were conceived through a sperm or egg donor, but take a DNA test and suddenly realize that their dad isn't their dad. So that's quite a jarring experience. There's a story on our website by a woman named Stephanie Blessing um, who went through that process of of immediately grieving the loss that her father wasn't her father and then immediately realizing that there was a stranger out there somewhere that she longed to know, that she didn't know existed the day before. So, you know, biology matters. We definitely know that because we've watched this radical shift in adoption practices away from closed adoptions, now to the point where like less than 5% of adoptions um, that are domestic are closed adoptions. Because social workers and professionals have realized that children benefit from as many connections to their family of origin as possible, even in those difficult situations where the child can't be raised by their birth mother or birth father. So, you know, in all these other areas, it's pretty easy for us to admit that biology matters, except when adults really want something. 
And then they minimize how much biology matters. But <laughs> even then, you know, they'll say, well, I really want to have a baby of my own. And everybody can kind of empathize with that and say, well, of course she wants a baby that's genetically connected to her. That makes so much sense. But when that baby grows up and says, man, I'm really missing my father. I wish I could know who he is. Everyone says, shut up and be glad you're alive, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So when we come back, Easy. I need, I want to ask you specifically what's wrong with surrogacy or donor conception, how it's different for children than, say, adoption like you were talking about before. we got to go to a quick break, and then I'll ask you that when we get back. Are you unhappily single? Does your marriage or relationship feel hard? I get a lot of emails from readers who are struggling in their marriage or relationship. Unfortunately, the help an individual or couple needs can rarely be answered in a series of emails. For this reason, I offer relationship coaching for those who are struggling to find love and for couples whose marriage or relationship feels stuck in a negative cycle. Go to SuzanneBanker.com and sign up today for a coaching session with me and learn the tools you need to find love and sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneBanker.com. We're talking today with Katie Faust, who's the founder and director of the children's rights organization, Them Before Us. She's also the Washington state leader for the pro-marriage group Canavox and appears regularly in a video series called Dear Katie. So we left off talking about surrogacy and donor conception. And my question for you, Katie, was how are those things different for children than, say, adoption? I will give it to you in four quick points. The first one is that adoption mends a wound or seeks to mend a wound, right? The child is wounded. There is pain and loss when they are separated from a birth parent. So adoption seeks to mend that wound. Third-party reproduction, sperm and egg donation and surrogacy, intentionally create that wound, right? So there's going to be a wound either way. One of them is the parents seeking to mend it, and one are the parents inflicting it. Second, um, in adoption, the child is the client. So when I was working at the largest Chinese adoption agency in the world, we would say, we are here to find parents for every child in need. We are not here to give a child to every adult who wants them, right? In adoption, you screen the prospective parents to make sure that the child is placed with a family that's going to be committed to them and love them and who is safe. In third-party reproduction, the adult is the client. The goal is to give a child to any and every adult, no matter the cost, literally, even if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's no screening. There's no background checks. Uh, there was a case that went before, well, almost made it to the Supreme Court a couple years ago of a deaf, mute 50-year-old postal worker that commissioned three babies to be created through surrogacy um, and all three babies took and the surrogate um started to love and bond with them and then the single commissioning parent said i can't i'm a single guy living in my parents basement i can't have three babies you need to abort some of them at 20 weeks and she said there is no way i'm doing this she gave birth to all three um, and now he is caring for those children we know that cps reports have been filed um, by his family members out of concern for the kids but there's no screening for third-party reproduction um, and surrogacy because the goal is Get those adults a baby if they can pay. Um, third, in adoption, the adults support the child, right? When my adopted son talks about his sadness or his struggles or that he doesn't look like other people in the family or his birthday story is different from his siblings, I can say, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, 
that that must I understand why you're sad. That makes sense. And he can talk with me about it. In third party reproduction, the kids have to support the adults, mm -hmm. right? Because if they were to voice, hey, it's hard for me that um, I look different from the family or that I don't know who my biological father is. They're actually talking to the adult who made the decision for that other parent to be gone. And so mo many, many donor conceived children feel like um, they cannot be honest about how they suffer and the kind of loss that they've experienced. Um, and finally, adoption is sometimes necessary. There are situations where biological parents fail or there's a tragedy. Um, third party reproduction is never necessary. It is always the intentional severing of the connection with one or both birth parents so adults can have something that they want. And infertility is terrible. It's, it's heartbreaking. But just because an adult wants something or is suffering, that never justifies intentionally um, violating a child's natural rights. I mean, intentionally creating motherless children. And I can't even talk about it because it's so upsetting. Like, just the thought of it is so awful. Like children, um, you know, what you'll see on our website, um, if you want to look at our, we have a category for donor conceived children. So you can look, um, you know, kids with same sex parents, kids with heterosexual parents, kids who have single mothers by choice. I mean, all of them long for this biological identity that has been intentionally removed mm -hmm. from them. The children who are raised by two men um, or who are motherless, they have something called mother hunger. Right. They hunger for the love of a woman. The children who are raised by two women um, or a single mom struggle with father hunger. And that's like I alluded to before, very dangerous because you're going to seek that legitimate need. You're going to have that met in ways and places um, where those people are not necessarily there to love you the way that you are made to be loved. Um, you know, I was in Australia a couple of years ago with my friend Millie Fontana, who um, talked about, you know, we, I went with her to her members of parliament so that she could talk about her opposition to same-sex marriage, which always results in normalizing mother and fatherless homes. And she said, I was a donor-conceived daughter of lesbians and I'm an atheist and I was desperate for a father. I mean, my mental health was so compromised. They were taking me to a therapist when I was eight and nine and 10 years old. And finally, the therapist said, if you don't want this child to do something, some kind of radical self-harm, you had better find her father and introduce her to him. And they did. And she said it just brought this whole level of stillness and peace to her that she'd never experienced before mm. because she was watching all of the girls go out on daddy-daughter sure. dates and longing that for something just like that. And then the incredible guilt that she felt because she, if she said, hey, I wish I had a dad, everyone would say, well, no, you don't. You just need love and safety. You should be so glad you have two moms who love you. Well, that just means that the kid starts to think there must be something really wrong with me. Okay, I need, to cut, I need to cut you off right there, Katie. When we come back, um, you can finish that thought. Welcome back to The Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. One of my favorite things about taking my son to hair saloon when he was young was that the front desk keeps extensive client notes on each customer so I didn't have to remember what they did the time before that made my son's hair look so good. 
No matter which stylist my son had had, he could always get the same haircut. That's one of the many benefits you'll get from being a customer at Hair Saloon for Men. So head on over to HairSaloon.com. They have 18 locations in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Houston. Book online or through their mobile app. Again, that's HairSaloon.com. We're talking today with Katie Faust, who's the founder and director of the children's rights organization Them Before Us. She's also the Washington state leader for the pro-marriage group Canevox and appears regularly in a video series called Dear Katie. Okay, we left off. I cut you off from a story. Let me wrap up and say um, that we already have kids who grew up um, in alternative family structures, whether it's divorce or same-sex parenting or donor-conceived kids. And when the message that they hear is, wow, you're so lucky, even adoptees, you know, who, oh, you're so lucky that you were adopted, um, then the kid says, well, but there's some pain here and there's some hurt. But if it's not acknowledged by any of the adults, right, it almost pathologizes these natural desires that kids have for a mother or a father or the, you know, longing to know the identity of their birth parents. And that's when I think that kids really suffer psychologically because then they start to say there must be something wrong with me for wishing that I had a dad everybody in the world is saying oh you're so lucky that you have two moms right or there must be something wrong with me for feeling sad that um, my birth mother relinquished me when everybody is saying um, oh you should be so lucky and and the truth is that you know adoptees can acknowledge hey I am glad that this is where I landed, but there's some pain there. So I think in the adoption world, you know, we we make room for that. Um, again, because the adults are not choosing for the child to suffer that loss. But in these other household arrangements, you know, whether it's um, a unilateral divorce or a no-fault divorce where the kid's trying to um, split time between two homes and packing up their things and moving every couple weeks, um, and then mom's remarrying or dad's, you know, got a new girlfriend or whatever is going on and the child has to adjust their life and they have to be understanding and accommodating. And if they say, boy, this is really hard, and the response that they hear is, kid, you should just be glad that your dad's still around at all. Or, well, your parents love you so much. Well, you still get to take a vacation to Hawaii or whatever it is, right? Like, we need to be able to acknowledge the pain and the loss that kids experience. And then when you're talking on policy matters, we need to realize that there are long-term effects, too. Well, speaking of that, um, it's really important that people understand, because I know this this is really important to you, and I've seen several videos of your trying to explain this, that it's not about pitting, it's not about being in favor of one thing over another. So, for example, your your organization just filed a Supreme Court amicus brief in support of a gay father. Can you explain what that was about and what your arguments were? Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, we say, <laughs> I tell people, give me enough time, I'll piss you off, yeah. too. I mean, like, there is nothing sacred here. We expect all adults to conform to the rights of all children. Right. It's not just gays and it's not just people who are struggling with infertility or whatever. Like every adult at some point is probably going to have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Do I want to do what I want or am I going to do the right thing for my children or my future children? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we will defend children's rights to their mother and father. um, And it's not about gay or straight. Right. Or Christian or atheist or whatever. We've got this coalition of a diverse group who are all defending the rights of kids. And what that meant this summer is we supported, uh, well, twins who had a gay dad um, who were removed from his care, even though he was a fit parent and awarded to his ex-partner who had never adopted them, who was never um, married to their father, um, who was not their biological father. 
Um, and the courts have, well, let's see, probably gave him 75% custody. Why? And now they only see their biological father a fraction of days out of the month. Why did that even happen? Why, why would this man get that? Why would this man get this indeed? Well, the gay marriage ruling from 2015 has radically altered parenting laws and minimized the importance of biological parentage, which is a threat to every parent and every child out there. And now this gay man who the gay marriage ruling was supposed to be for is losing his children because these new parenthood laws that are built on the back of Obergefell are saying that his biological connection to his children is not the primary um, criteria for whether or not he has custody of his kids. So, uh, yeah, like, and we say, you know, what we say to that is that gay dad, his name is Frank, Frank has something to offer his twins that no other man and no other woman can give them. And those children probably, I'm sure, I haven't talked to them directly, but if they're like every other kid I know, long to be known and loved by Frank more than they do just by some other person that their father was once in a romantic relationship with. Oh, my. Oh, it's complicated stuff. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how you do this. Okay. (laughs) We have to go to a quick break. And when we come back, we're just going to have a few minutes left. And I want to switch gears and talk about this idea of sex or gender being a social construct that is floated around in our society today. And we'll blow that right out of the water, right? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, We'll be right back. You're a man that respects quality over quantity. You value relationships that can stand the test of time. You enjoy convenience without sacrificing comfort. At Hair Saloon for Men, we get it. We're restoring the time-honored tradition of delivering a haircut experience men across all generations can depend on. Because sometimes the man everyone depends on needs a place of his own to depend on. While today's world is filled with numerous clip joints and fancy salons, Hair Saloon is building something better, something different. Hair Saloon for Men Against the Grain. Visit HairSaloon.com to find a saloon in your neighborhood. That's Hair Saloon. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. We're talking today with Katie Faust, who's the founder and director of the children's rights organization Them Before Us. She's also the Washington state leader for the pro-marriage group Canavox and appears regularly in a video series called Dear Katie. And um, I, we, have, we just have a few minutes left, and I wanted to switch gears and talk about one of the things that your site says, I believe, is that you want to give a counter narrative to the one the culture teaches about marriage and family. One obvious example being the idea that sex or gender is a social construct. Can you set the record straight on, on that um, faux idea? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what makes me, it just makes me laugh because if gender is a social construct, then we're teaching children very, very young because eight week old babies can tell the difference between a male and female face. You know, already at eight weeks, kids know the difference between and respond differently to male and female faces. Um, and so I just think it's funny, you know, I, wherever I travel, I'll see people throwing their babies up in the air or their kids up in the air. And it doesn't matter if you're in Australia or China or New York. The person throwing the kid in the air is the dad. 
because that's just how dads play with kids, right? Moms tend to wear their babies wherever they go and look at them and eye contact. And dads do that sometimes too, but they also tend to do the roughhousing play that kids really crave and it's developmentally critical. I mean, and all of it, I mean, really, truly, it's what Erica Komisar, one of your featured uh, yeah. guests, talked about, was it is hormonally driven differences in the way mothers and fathers interact with kids. And both of these are like staples in a child's social emotional diet. Kids need mother's love. They need father's love. They need stability, which is brought by marriage. And without any one of those three, kids are going to be emotionally malnourished. And I love the phrase that you, you use to, to drive it home. Women don't father. Men don't mother. There's mothering and there's fathering as opposed to parenting. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's what parenting oh. experts say. You know, there really is no such thing as parenting. You can learn some good skills about like boundaries and discipline, but women distinctly parent children in feminine ways. Men distinctly parent children in masculine ways. Um, and nobody's teaching us to do it that way because it happens um, similarly in cultures all across the world. Um, we have about one minute left if you want to throw something in there. Otherwise, I'm just going to ask you to tell people where they can find out more about your work. Well, come on over. We're at thembeforeus.com. Um, and yeah, I think that I tell my friends on the left, you're not going to get anything you want in terms of social justice from reducing homelessness or incarceration rates or teen suicide or mass shooters or whatever. Like, look at any social ill, drill down to the bottom of it, and fatherless children are overrepresented. So you are never going to get what you want unless you get on board with my cause. And then I tell my Republican friends, hey, do you want a uh, small government and low taxes? And do you want personal responsibility? You are never going to get anything you want until you get on board with this cause. Because until we secure a child's fundamental right to be known by their mother and father, government's just playing cleanup at that point. So this is it. Like we all have to do this or nobody else gets anything, any of their goals or anything on their wish list. Awesome. Love it. I love the bipartisan uh, the push there because that just that just nails it. You know, it talk about separating the politics from the, you know, from the facts and from common sense. It's just great. My guest today was Katie Faust. She's the founder and director of the children's rights organization Them Before Us. She's also the Washington state leader for the pro-marriage group Canavox and appears regularly in a video series called Dear Katie. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next time when we talk with Susan Patton, also known as the Princeton Mom, who wrote an open letter to the women at Princeton that went viral in 2013. We will find out why. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And please do take two minutes to give us your review. It really helps. And if you have a question or a comment for me, you can email Suzanne at thesuzannevenkershow.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. Hair Saloon, it's more than just a haircut. You walk in the door, tired, spent, looking a bit ragged. You're greeted by a warm welcome like you've been here before. A complimentary drink slides across the bar, quenching your thirst for comfort and convenience. The sound of clippers and conversation can be heard drowning out the noise of the world. You sit comfortably, surrounded in soft leather and smooth chrome. The smell of oak and clubman talc reconnects you to traditions your father and grandfather once knew. The soothing sounds of sharp metal trim away at your problems. 
Staying put in the comfortable barber chair, you lay back, resting your eyes as warm water and sweet mint soap washes away your worries. You recapture a few minutes to feel strong again, to look your best, and to get ready for what's next. And you're ready to repeat again a few weeks later. Hair Saloon, for men against the grain. Visit hairsaloon.com to find a location near you. That's hairsaloon.com.